fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bombs. Bam, bam, bam. I'm Wade. Oh god. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, Cold Boy Summer, covering all of the films in the Twilight series. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in this series. Emmett, how are you doing? I am doing great. It was such a pleasure to be here this evening. I'm podcasting, <laughs> but outside right now. Hashtag TM. Wow. And it's really wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little sunburnt, but I'm very happy to be here. I heard you went to Paris, France today. <laughs> I, I had several people texting me asking about Paris, France, but I was actually at the Vatican. <laughs> That's where I was amongst a... Uh, <laughs> A mob of people dressed in red gowns performing some sort of ceremony. I'm doing very well because today we are honored to have a special guest. She is one of our closest friends, perhaps best known to our audience for being, in my estimation, the person alive with the single most tea on Emmett. Please welcome Molly Lovejoy. Hello. You know, I thought everyone else's intros were jokes. Why is mine completely true? <laughs> oh, theirs were completely true. true, too. That's the big secret. <laughs> oh, man, I've really been missing out on Kate Evans' podcast then. Wow, you're a dedicated listener. <laughs> well, this this episode of Cinema Bums will probably really appeal to her. Oh, because it is pitch perfect every time. It is Anna Kendrick every time she's there <laughs> delivering nothing to the people. <laughs> it seems like the thing that we've contributed that has most resonated with our audience so far <laughs> is the joke about Anna Kendrick. <laughs> that Kate Evans doesn't like her. It's a <laughs> good bit. people keep referencing it, which yeah. I'm very pleased with. Yeah, I think I think it really speaks to the tone of this podcast. I have said for a long time that who I would want to play me if they ever made a movie about my life would be Anna Kendrick. I think she'd do a phenomenal job. I think that Either would her do. or Will Smith. Look, interesting. I was thinking Danny DeVito, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, a, a real breakout role for her, I feel like, though. Quickly, who would both of you want to play yourselves in the biographical movie of your life? Glenn Close. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, she'd finally get the Oscar. Yeah, obviously. With my life? And she'd be playing you like, she'd be playing you in little kid makeup all the way through being an old woman, right? Yeah, of course. Of she, course. Wouldn't, she wouldn't do like that multiple actor thing or anything. Oh, no, no, no. no That's no, always no. a disaster. Yeah. It would be little women style. <laughs> well, I think I would want old uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, my guy. I think that dude, I think it'd be weird. And I think that's what we want. I think it's a brand match. I think it would be good. I think it's a little bit casting up, but I also think Anna Kendrick is for me, too. So that's fair. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. People always say that you look like Ezra Miller. Is that his name? The Flash? They do, but I don't want to be associated with the dude who choked through a fan into a like tub of bricks or whatever it was he was caught on video doing. That's and besides, fair. I mean... What, his whole thing is he has a jawline. I don't know if he really ever delivered us the acting goods. You know, Tilda Swinton was really doing the heavy lifting in that All About Kevin movie. 
Zane texted me that when he watched the Snyder Cut with my mom, she just laughed every time the Flash was on screen and said he's just like Emmett. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Molly, how are you doing? I'm great. I consider myself to be Mistress America on your podcast, because I am a government employee by day, self-invented <laughs> superhero by night. <laughs> so you got me on an off day. I don't have to fight crime today. Wow, I'm glad to hear that. Where did your journey with the Twilight series begin? Okay, I am an OG Twilight fan. I had an advanced reader's copy wow. of the original Twilight. Um, wow. And so I was in it from the beginning <laughs> and stayed in it pretty much forever until now. <laughs> um, I. I took a little break in the middle because it was a bad series, um, objectively, <laughs> but now it's kind of come back around to where I enjoy it because it's terrible. Have you read like the all the spinoffs and the recent ones? How, did you read the one that came out last year? Yeah, I did. I read Midnight Sun, um, which is like the Twilight book from Edward's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a really long time to get through it. It was about 650 pages, and um, wow. it could have been way, way less than that. Um, like three and a half pages describing what type of spider was in the corner of Bella's room. I hate it. Just to like show that Edward was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so huge waste of time. Would not recommend. <laughs> so you were up to date with the books from the beginning. How did you feel about the movies when they started coming out? I can't really remember. I think that I enjoyed them. I mean, I went to see them. I think I saw, like, midnight premieres with Emmett, um, at least for the first two or three. Probably. But I think I remember enjoying them at the time. I enjoy them a lot more now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I think that it was, you know, always a part of my youth. Because who wouldn't want to date Edward Cullen? (laughs) Okay, that was going to be one of my next questions, is which team are you? Yeah, I'm Team Edward for life. Because he has more money than Scrooge McDuck. That's true. uh, (laughs) And he's immortal and he's beautiful. And, like, if you were with him, you would be immortal and beautiful, too. So I don't see why anyone would choose any other team. Gentlemen, your perspective? Wow, really on the spot here, right? (laughs) I feel like you should have prepared for this question. (laughs) No, I'm also Team Edward. I was that when they were coming out. And I was questioning that decision a little bit last week watching the first movie. Because I I saw all these movies in theaters, but I haven't seen any of them since. So I truly have forgotten, like, huge, huge, huge amounts of them. But this week I felt a little bit better about being Team Edward, (laughs) I would say. Emmett? Dude, I have been and I remain team jacob listen i think they're both uh, pretty bad honestly (laughs) i think they're both pretty bad choices so i'm not out here trying to like stand jacob and his perspective on this whole thing or anything but i would say in the grand scheme of things he is the better of two bad options i feel like i'm a little more like comfortable watching these movies now that it has been sort of generally accepted that it's not a healthy relationship right. that Bella and Edward find themselves in. Okay. Like, now that everyone is like, we get that it's not the most romantic, like, ideal relationship, but we are still going to enjoy watching these. I feel like that makes me feel a little better about the whole thing. Yeah. I think that's completely reasonable. I think that's why I enjoy them more now, as well. is because, at the time, 
as a 14-year-old, it seemed great. Now, it seems really problematic, (laughs) but also really fun. (laughs) I enjoyed the bejesus out of this movie. (laughs) That is exciting. I'm glad, because you didn't... Okay, well, well, Emmett, then, would you like to explain here at the front a little bit of what happens in this movie? Okay, this movie... Is the new new moon the the Twilight the Saga, Twilight new Saga new moon? It is about four acts in Bella's life. Mm-hmm. It is a long movie. Yeah, it is a character study in grief and the way that the ending of one toxic relationship can lead to the beginning of another toxic relationship. <laughs> And I think this is a movie that if it weren't for some pretty stupid dialogue, could be like a great movie. Mm. I think if somebody had given this like a dialogue rewrite and had been like, it doesn't have to sound exactly like the book. Like we can take some liberty and make it sound like the way real people talk and like actually emotionally expressive. This could have been like a pretty great movie. As it is, I think it's a pretty good movie. Mm. So Bella gets left by old Eddie. Because he's like, I can't be with you anymore after an incident where she nearly gets eaten by his whole family. And so they're like, I'm going to leave. Then she's depressed for three months, which is shown in a beautiful montage. Finally rekindles her friendship with her old friend Jacob Black, who is uh, secretly becoming a werewolf at the same time, which is very exciting. And then at the end, all of these threads kind of come together that Edwards thinks that she has died. And so he's going to kill himself. And so they all have to go there. And the werewolves are pissed. And it's like, there's going to be a big war. And then, amazingly, once again, nothing happens. (laughs) (laughs) These movies are, like, pretty awesome at, like, teasing that something pretty badass is about to happen. And then nothing happens. And you're like, oh, I guess we're. I guess that was the movie that took two hours and seventeen minutes. <laughs> I guess that's what I was watching. Okay, and you feel good about it. As you said, this is the Twilight Saga: New Moon, a ridiculous title, <laughs> a truly ridiculous title. I think it could. It, the book is just called New Moon, mm-hmm. so I think just call it New Moon. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you have to put something on there, I would rather have Twilight New Moon than. The Twilight, Twilight Saga, Saga New Moon. Moon. Also, the opening title card just says New Moon. And then the closing title card, when the credits roll, says Twilight Saga New Moon. Interesting. I didn't catch that. They never say the Twilight Saga they, New Moon. They really compromised all over the place on that whole thing. Yeah, what are the stats on this, Wade? This film was directed by Chris White, who is a guy like, let me take you through some of his credits. He wrote the film Ants. <laughs> Which I knew I could because I knew Emmett would like. An absolute bop of a film. Truly. Then he directs American Pie. <laughs> the original, just the first one. And then he writes and directs About a Boy. What? Which he writes along with Peter Hedges, and they both get nominated for a screenplay that year at the Oscars. That's incredible. So that's, like, his big break. I really like About a Boy, too. Then he writes and directs The Golden Compass. The, like, the movie when they did it? Yes, the movie, the famous flop. No the way! original His Dark Materials. <laughs> I have to interject here. Are you going to talk about that, Wade? About his relationship with The Golden Compass? 
Uh, please, please do. Okay. Well, he directed The Golden Compass, and he filmed it to the book. Exactly. And then Catholics got really upset. And so the, the studio made him change the movie almost completely. Um, and so he didn't he get the golden compass he wanted. He knew it was a flop before he even sent it to theaters. And so when he signed on to do New Moon, it was really important to him that he like have the ability to make it what the book was, which is perhaps wow. why we have that kind of bad dialogue. That is really interesting. That's really cool. Do you think that's why Catholics are depicted in such a negative light <laughs> at the end of this movie? <laughs> a bunch a bunch of tourists to this Italian village just get completely annihilated at the end of this movie. Like, 45 of them. <laughs> that's true. Um, but that's true in real life of people who visit the Vatican. So That's true. Then he, So that's the year before this. Then he directs this. Then the most recent part of his career has just been sort of writing big Disney movie. So he wrote the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella, which is the first of the live action Disney remakes. He wrote Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Unbelievable. <laughs> and he is writing the upcoming Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio live action remake with Tom Hanks as Geppetto. Is there going to be another Pinocchio after the Pinocchio that just was that's winning a bunch of Oscars? How much Pinocchio is enough really makes you wonder. We're really past the limit, I think. <laughs> I would agree. I would say one is enough. This movie was also obviously based on the book by Stephanie Meyer, the book New Moon. I read that the year this movie came out, 2009, 19% of all books sold in the world for the entire year were written by Stephanie Meyer. Holy hell. Can you believe that? And they're really not good. <laughs> I mean, they're really not good. That includes Bibles. That includes <laughs> travel guides. That's all books. That's nuts. That's, That's really wild. Power to her. I don't know where she is now, but she has money. She's probably out in some sad little town in Washington still clanking away on her typewriter and drinking coffee. She's from Utah. She's a Latter-day Saint. She's probably living somewhere outside of Salt Lake City. Oh, that's true. Uh, this film was written by Melissa Rosenberg. So same writer as the last one. And we have to remember that for like these five years, she's writing Dexter during the week and writing these movies on the weekends. Wow. Uh, the score for this one is by Alexander Desplat. <laughs> sure. Re- replacing Carter Burwell, we might remember his score from Little Women. Oh. Very piano-based composer. This thing runs two hours and ten minutes. It is the longest movie in the series by seven minutes. Uh, how do you guys feel about the pacing in this one? Um, I think that it's average. <laughs> I don't think that it flies by, but I don't feel like it drags either. I unfortunately watched the extended cut because that's what YouTube had to offer. Oh, no. (laughs) I own the extended cut and I rented the regular one. (laughs) So this is the longest Twilight movie for me by 14 minutes. Uh, (laughs) Wait, what is in the extended cut that's not in the theater? Yeah, what is it? You will be interested to know that I watched them side by side this morning so that I could tell when, what things were in the extended cut that weren't in the original cut. Oh it's God. nothing important. It's just like 
um, Charlie talking to his neighbor in one scene um, where his neighbor's getting rid of the motorcycles that uh. Bella has later. Um, it's Charlie talking to him about wolves at one point, about how they're in the wool, uh, the woods around Forks. Mm. Um, there's a little bit longer of a scene between Bella and Edward right after Jacob um, meets them in the parking lot um, to give Bella a birthday present where he says, um, oh, uh-huh. like, Bella says, like, oh, Jacob's a friend, something you might not understand. He's mm. not, um, <laughs> he's I not someone speech. I want to kiss or kill. And Edward kind of says, well, you know, like, you can't read what he's he's thinking about you. Um, and I think that's actually kind of good for the plot. Um, so yeah. I was bummed when I saw that that wasn't in the original cut. For some reason, um, the only thing that I think is omitted, uh, or that is in the original cut, oh. that is cut from the uh-huh. extended cut, is Jacob speaking Quileute. Hmm. And before I kind of thought that was weird, before the kiss. and he so He did that in the extended cut. He did? Yeah. Okay, I've seen the extended cut like a hundred times, and I swear it wasn't in there, but maybe I'm wrong, and so that's good. Maybe it's just not as much. Maybe I just thought it was weird that that it wasn't as emphasized as it was in the in the regular one. I wish we had heard anyone speak the native language before that moment, because I was very confused when it happened. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I thought I had just like not heard what he said, and I didn't get it until I was looking at it later. And I think an interesting thing about that is that no one has translated it. Basically, everyone involved on the film said, ask a Quileute, and the Quileutes say, that's between Bella and Jacob. So there is no actual translation of what he says to her. There's a lot of speculation, but no official translation anywhere on the internet that I could find. Wow. That's interesting. This film had a budget of $50 million compared to Twilight's 37. So it got more, but not a lot more. Mm -hmm. I would argue not as much as it looks like. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bigger budget than the first one, which I think is a lot down to how they chose to shoot the first one, because I think that film is probably more expensive than it looks. But this film made $687 million compared to 402 of... The first one. Wow. Wow. At the time, it was the biggest, uh, domestically, the biggest midnight premiere and the biggest opening day of all time. It is now the 36th wow. biggest of all time. Yeah, there was some discrepancy about the numbers because I think some sources are counting like re-releases, later marathons and stuff. But I'm going with The Numbers, which is the website I've used for all everything we've ever done, which cites it as 687, which is important because I think if you factor in all the times this movie has been screened, it makes more than some of the later movies. Oh. But its original theatrical run is higher than Twilight and less than all the ones that are going to come after. Uh, it got negative critical reviews at the time. It has a 44 on Metacritic compared to Twilight's 56. Really? It is the worst-reviewed movie in the series. Wow. Kyle Smith of the New York Post writes, New Moon is supposed to be an exciting love story, plus monster action. So where's the excitement? Where's the action? On the flip side, Mike LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle writes, Let's just say it. It's great that there's a movie that makes teenage girls scream. Half the movies Hollywood makes are designed to make teenage boys scream, and these boy movies are just as ridiculous and a lot nastier than New Moon. I respect that. San Francisco Chronicle never lets me down. (laughs) 
I agree. I thought that was a really good point, especially when you think about like this was the era of like the Transformers movies. Oh my god! And like those GI Joe movies, like that was the place we were at in sort of big blockbuster stuff. And lastly, Kimberly Jones of the Austin Chronicle writes. I'm told Bella's helplessness is true to the spirit of the novels, but so what? It's almost 2010. Let's get hip, people. Yeah, also true. <laughs> uh, let's get hip, people. Molly, did you think New Moon is a flop or a bop? This has been really hard for me because I have mm. been really committed to doing the binary thing and saying flop or bop. That being said... <laughs> I think that I have two different answers. I think that it, as a standalone film, is a flop. I think that as rising action in the Twilight Saga, it's a bop. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do I need to be more specific? Sort of compared to the whole series, it works, but you don't think there's enough on its own to carry it over the finishing line? I don't think it's a movie that I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to watch New Moon on a random (laughs) night. I'm not going to single it out out of this saga as the one to watch. Hmm. But I like it as it rolls into the subsequent films. Cool. Emmett, I know your major criticism of Twilight was that you said not much happened. Did New Moon make you turn over a new leaf? It did, because even less happened, and I loved it. This movie is a bop. (laughs) This movie is so good. (laughs) I, like, really just wish that the dialogue was better. That's Mm. That's really my only complaint with this one, is, like, I don't think it's a fun movie. I think it doesn't have a sense of humor. I think it just leans into being emo as hell. But that being said, is like a pretty mm. damn good representation of it. The like it's ostensibly is like pretty hot on like a lot of the stuff that it's doing, and like the whole idea of like one bad relationship leading into another, and being hung up on both of them, and having the exact same thing happen to you twice. You know, like that's like that that's some compelling. Real, that's to some you? very real real content <laughs> for for the young sure. for the young teen. Or whomever. Yeah. Mm. Wade? Flop or bop? I think I would give it a flop. And I want to say that up front because I don't want to bury the lead. Which is that I think this movie is incredibly directed. Right? I think this yeah. movie is like unbelievably good as like a work of adaptation. Of them being like, okay, what worked about the first movie? We're going to play that stuff all the way up. What works about the book, let's lean into that and let's cut, like, wherever we can. Four-star directing, one-star story. And so they kind of meet in the middle to be a two or three, depending on, like, what mood you're in when you watch it. So I was really shocked at, like, how much I was into it. I would say the first, like, 20 or 30 minutes, I was like, this thing is awesome. And also, I don't know if you remember this, everyone was telling us this was the worst one. Yeah. So I came in, I I liked last week's a lot after not expecting to, and I came in not expecting to like this. At the beginning, I was like blown away. And then we get an hour of Taylor Lautner, who has put on 30 pounds of muscle and lost all of his acting ability yep. <laughs> in between the first movie and this one. Yep. Steroids will do it to you. 
And there's so much awkward talk about her just like objectifying the abs and everything, which it's is weird. very strange. It's weird how much they're playing that she is like so sexually into him when like all of the dialogue is her saying, like, I'm not into you. But she is playing at every moment. <laughs> She's playing at every moment touching his bare chest anytime they're in the same room. <laughs> it's it's some strange some strange stuff's going on there. What would have made it a bop for me is if you cut 20 minutes out of that middle act and if you recast Taylor Lautner. Mm-hmm. Then you would have, like, a legitimately very good movie, not just, like, a Twilight movie. And But I think as it is, it's a little bit in the middle. Are you aware that they tried to recast Taylor Lautner? I am. I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They tried to under claiming that he just couldn't be physically fit enough. It was a really quick turnaround. I mean, yeah. they came out a year apart, almost to the day. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that in the stats, but that is absolutely insane. So they said that, and they had another actor on speed dial. Like, they had cast the new Jacob. Damn. And then Taylor Lautner just put on, I think it was 27 pounds of muscle, in a short enough time that they were like, okay, man, you can have it. <laughs> but my guess is it was less about that muscle and more about... Maybe Chris Wise wanting to work with someone else if that actor was going to carry the movie. Although I think he's good in the first movie. I think he plays the part of pre-Wolf Jacob very well. Kind of that innocent, kind of sweet, younger boy. Mm. The adjustment to him as kind of a sex object doesn't work at all through the remaining of the saga, in my opinion. I think he has a really warm chemistry with Kristen Stewart, which is a big change from her relationship with Edward. I think it seems more brotherly, Hmm. at least from my perspective, Hmm. because I think that's how they feel as actors about each other. And so that that neither of them are particularly good actors. I think that kind of bleeds into (laughs) the content of the film. Evan, how did you feel about all the Jacob stuff in this? I don't think he's good. I do think the silent montage stuff really works. And I think the directing is smart in that it plays a lot of that. And a lot of Mm -hmm. them like looking Mm -hmm. at each other and like working on the bike together and like being framed in the shot together in really compelling ways in parts where they're not talking. And I think that's really smart because the dialogue that you do get with them is sometimes like actually painful. I think about what you say that, like, sometimes it's hard, especially for young actors, to make the transition from one archetype character to another. If he's been typecast as, like, this one kid for so long, since he was Shark Boy, right? Like, being the boy Mm -hmm. next door, the nice kid, the good kid, whatever. He's Mm -hmm. doing that thing with, like, a little bit of an edge, you know, that Shark Boy edge. And he's doing that thing in the first movie a little bit. And he's, like, pretty good. He's passively good in it. But then when he's asked to, like, be somebody who's actually going through emotions and, like, has something important going on with them, I feel like he's not quite, like, up to it at that point or is, like, going too hard into it and it's, like, playing too obvious or something. They kind of also, like turn him almost functionally into Edward where he becomes the same sort of like tortured boyfriend who could flip out at any moment and is worried about that you know I also think there's this really interesting thing where that 
Emily girl is like permanently scarred from domestic abuse mm-hmm. that's like happened. And like that's kind of like the whole thing in this whole series is like dancing around this very strange thing of like, is your partner just going to like suddenly kill you because they can't help themselves anymore? And that's like very unhealthy and very strange. And the fact that you kind of like get it presented to you so blatantly and so uncomfortably with Emily is really interesting particularly because it's presented primarily to a, an audience of younger women, yeah. which is mm-hmm. not great. Uh, something I thought about while doing my research for this, just a little shout-out I want to give, is I feel like it's pretty... Like the, People love to talk about how uh, Robert Pattinson talks about hating these movies mm-hmm. and the books and the character on the press tour for all of these. If you've never seen any of them, YouTube Robert Pattinson Twilight, because there are so many good videos. Since the beginning, he was sort of educating the teenage audience that this is an unhealthy thing to look up to and a very bad thing. Because really, like, who is going to be looking up Robert Pattinson on, like, Entertainment Tonight, you know, or any of all these, like, weird things he was doing at the time? Like, now, because we're in on the joke, they compiled them. But at the time, it was probably, like, those diehard fans who were searching for any content they could find, and he was, like, at every turn being, like, this isn't actually, look at all the ways this is unhealthy. Damn. Well, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> Love the guy. Molly, you had first pick of this whole series. Yeah. So what makes New Moon the one that you were most excited to This is about? my favorite one. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Okay, what? Um, even though I don't... I don't think that it's a particularly good standalone film. I like it a lot better than Twilight. We've gotten rid of the blue filter, which I find very off-putting. I think it's particularly fun for right now because this is a quarantine movie. I mean, Bella is in her house for four months straight sitting in the same chair. (laughs) It speaks to the times. Mm -hmm. um, And then she gets to expand her (laughs) bubble to one person. I think it's kind of fun. I'm not going to talk about the other ones because, of course, we're spoiler-free. But the ones that come Uh after it lean into the drama a little heavy-handed. And I think that this one is just kind of, like, still very much teen problems. Mm. Um, Like, most people know what it Mm. feels like to go through kind of what seems like the most devastating breakup you could possibly imagine when they're a teenager and um, kind of coming back from that, it seems very much um, to kind of speak to the themes of the audience. Whereas I think as you move into Eclipse and Breaking Dawn, those themes shift away from the people who are watching it at the time or like the primary target audience. So I think it's fun. I think it's um, an interesting piece of cultural history. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of think of us these days as being cultural historians. We are back in our wheelhouse, which is weird, long series that people like <laughs> love to hate or like love and hate. You know, we started mm-hmm. with the X-Men. Now we're here. We're doing Twilight, like just another another pariah in the sense of like, is it a good film? But also much loved in the hearts of the, of the real America. So what does that tell us? <laughs> It feels like nothing is as big as this right now, you know, mm. in terms of like comfort, love, ironic love, like the weird thing that people like love talking and hearing about Twilight at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're at like peak Twilight nostalgia in a way that I think if we did this like even like three years ago, 
people would not really be clamoring for Twilight as much. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they were still processing how bad it was then. People were still just getting over like, oh, it's really, this is really damaging. This is really not good stuff. And they were just getting over that. But now we can joke about it. Like, now we're all past that. We can all be like, yes, yes, we know, we know. But we love this, so let's let's tear it to shreds, but with some fun. Come on. It's the Twilight Renaissance. It is, it is the Robert Pattisons. It is... <laughs> The Kirsten Stewart-sons. <laughs> it, it is the Shark Boya-sons, if you will. <laughs> Did you take some time away from these movies and then like come back and rediscover your love for them, Molly? For sure. Or was it just sort of always there? Um, no, I definitely took a break. Um, I was not involved with Twilight um, for a very long time, I would say. Like, since the movies came out and I was... Um, Still in high school, I believe, when Breaking Dawn came out, and I don't remember thinking about them or seeing them between 2012 and 2020. Um, And Mm. really, for me, it was um, just being on TikTok. TikTok was really into Twilight, and I was like, oh, I should check these out again. I should watch the movies. And then last year in quarantine, I was working from home, and I'm used to working in a pretty loud environment, so I just like put the movies on in the background. Um, to kind of focus on my work through the day. And I realized that they are amazing. Was this your favorite back in the day, too? I don't think so. I was really pretty heavily Team Edward. I remember Eclipse being my favorite book, and I think I liked Breaking Dawn Part 1 as far as movies. Hmm. Um, Because it's a really pretty film, as you will see Hmm. in the future. Visually appealing. Emmett, did you read them? I can't remember. So I read the first two. So I read this one. Mm-hmm. I can't remember really either of them because I, I mean, I remember them just being like long and bad, just not interesting to read. But I do remember watching this movie the first time and being like, oh, this is like exactly what the book is, which I at the time I was like, wow, this is exactly what like the book is. Let me dunk all over this. But now I can appreciate it as a pretty good adaptation and definitely a better made film than the first one. So much so of a much better, better. Made Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, by far and away. Not just because the blue filter is taken off, as Molly said. <laughs> no, no, no. It's incredible. I think the slow-mo sequence in the middle where they have Tom York playing and it's like just music for five minutes as people sort of like run through the forest was amazing. That part is so cool. Yeah. When, when she attacks the guy... And she's running to go and jump off the cliff. Mm -hmm. So exciting. That sequence was like when they do the hyperspace silent maneuver in Last Jedi, where I was just like, how did they get this into like a big studio film? Like, how did something this long and wild and beautiful make it into the middle of (laughs) something that everyone was going to see? Yeah. Also, all of the music in it is original for it. Which yeah. is pretty wild. There's a Bonnie Vare song right at the beginning, right? Yeah, Rosalind by Bonnie Vare. It's still one of my favorite songs. I put it on most playlists. That's so cool. There's so much music in it, too. Like, especially in the first half, they're like a needle drop every five minutes. It's so cool. Yeah. I was um, pretty shocked to discover that there is a sequel set up in the first one. Mm-hmm. And then this is not that sequel, which was very interesting to me because I didn't realize that 
Victoria is like the Thanos of the Twilight universe. <laughs> And that they have just teased that she is coming, and now we're going to build up across the movies uh-huh. to whenever she comes into the picture. She's just, like, the threat on the horizon. Because the first one ends with her, like, in slow-mo, walking towards the camera, and maniacally laughing. And so I thought that that would be this, but it isn't. Nope. Twilight contains multitudes. <laughs> um, Victoria is somewhat compelling i think she's kind of an echo of edward and bella in the sense that she has lost her mate now and that she's Hmm. kind of living in that post world of of losing your long-term partner Mm. you know nothing happens (laughs) (laughs) that's it's yeah the things you think are going to be the focus are not the focus ever in twilight and i um i love that I was truly shocked that this was another movie where the conflict is introduced and resolved in the last 30 minutes. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I could not believe How did they let it happen again? I cannot believe it. But it, it worked After, better this time. I disagree. I think it worked better the first act. I think the, I think the third act is way better in this one. Uh-huh. Like, way better. But I think the first one, like, manages to seed it a little bit more uh-huh. throughout like, in this one, when just, like, five minutes, in a span of five minutes, you learn that he's going to kill himself, and it's like, now we're in Italy, now this is what this movie <laughs> yeah. is about. Well, during that part, this must be part of the extended part, because during that part, I got up to get a beer, just, like, left the movie playing, because I was nervous about making it in time to, to meet y'all, and came back, and they had just gotten to Italy, and they'd gotten on the plane, and then they were just getting to Italy. And I was like, this took me five minutes. What have they been talking about for five minutes? And I felt completely caught up the minute I sat back down, so didn't miss anything. No, you missed a uh, Virgin America plane flyover. I think that's essentially it. <laughs> you bet it was a Virgin America <laughs> plane <ride. laughs> Can we talk about, like, the weird religious thing that's being, like, very deep-seated in this film? Like, very slowly they're working to it, and it's creepy. I think it would be less creepy if they came right out and said it in this movie, but it's, like... And I don't think they really ever say that it's related to religion. It's just that influence of Stephanie Meyer and her her Latter-day Saints beliefs. You get a little bit of, like soul damnation talk from edward yeah which is new that is true true but his whole thing seems very christian and i haven't done my deep dive into mormonism yet which is going to be for one of the later episodes for for one of the latter day episodes (laughs) yes indeed his stuff feels like everything with him like much more of that victorian ideal yes yeah yes it seems like if he could have sex, Bella would have sex with him. Like, it feels like she's just sort of diverting to whatever he wants to do. For sure. I think that Bella is ready. And I think that Edward is holding her back. If I could just do a little pivot here. <laughs> um, I think um, the scene where Carlisle is explaining to her the, like, damnation thing, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, where she, he's, like, uh, stitching her up. Uh-huh. Um, I think that adds some really interesting plot points like of why everyone feels the way that they feel and it'll kind of build off on it as the series goes on but i think that is the peak moment of sexual chemistry in this film yes (laughs) yes i wrote this down why do they have more chemistry than anyone else in this series yeah 
He like touches her chin at the end. It's very quick. Um, oh, it's hot. It's so <laughs> but it hot. Is like, yeah, it's like a very hot moment. God, our zaddy Carlisle. <laughs> Twilight is, it's an interesting thing to age with because I'm at the age now where I was like, oh, I would much rather date Charlie and Carlisle than either of mm-hmm. these these teen boys. Yes, me too. It's pretty wild. Also, Edward is 17 forever. <laughs> He couldn't even make it to 18. (laughs) Just like that Metro Station song. (laughs) That was on my Twilight playlist back in the day. It really spoke to to the franchise. (laughs) Just like that terrible Zac Efron vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) My way into the series, really the thing I liked most about it at the time was the music. And I remember that this was my favorite soundtrack by far. I used to listen to the soundtrack all the time. And I also would listen to... The playlist that Stephanie Myers would post, oh, wow. yeah. which were like her inspiration playlist for when she wrote the books, which had a lot of overlap with the artists they got for the movies. But I would listen to those, too. Except My Chemical Romance. I don't think My Chemical Romance is in any of the Twilight movies. And she was a really big My Chemical Romance fan and said, like, Gerard Way in some ways inspired her to write Twilight. <laughs> he came to her in a vision. <laughs> They refused. I read this in my research oh. this week. He was like, I don't want to do it. I don't think we're a good fit. Oh, I love that. I really respect him for that. <laughs> but the killers were here. I mean, Bon Iver is here. It's not like people who, it's not like they're unrespectable for being in this soundtrack. Yeah, and no. Green Day does a song specifically for Eclipse, I believe, like writes a song Whoa. for Eclipse. I think so. Florence and the Machine did a song for this movie as well. I do like that the domino effect connects 9-11 to um, Fifty Shades of Grey mm-hmm. because like 9-11 inspired the creation of My Chemical Romance which inspired Twilight which <laughs> inspired <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey so <laughs> it's wow. just another tragedy wow. we have to endure because of 9-11 <laughs> oh, wow. thanks God. George incredible, <laughs> incredible. yeah so most of the behind the scenes stuff is from like the casting or like the the pre-production for this it seems like it was a pretty steady shoot i wonder if that's what the rest of these movies are going to be after like the hard time they had getting the first one off the ground uh so katherine hardwick didn't come back for this one and there were like a lot of different rumors about this but she had right of first refusal so she turned it down because they told her that she had to make she could make a movie in a year (laughs) and she was like no i don't have the time to make this movie well and turned it down. Which I respect a lot. I mean, refusing it. But I do think a better movie was made than the one Catherine Hardwick would have made. They got Chris White's because one of the pro- he was friends with one of the producers. So it wasn't even... It was just like they were going around town trying to find someone who could handle doing this in the time. And he ended up doing it as a favor. And like Molly said, he vowed like very much to make fans of the book proud. Which was probably, I would guess, inspired by his Golden Compass experience. Oh, yeah. That, like, signing on, he was like, I will do it if, like, we make these people happy. Which is pretty cool. And then he, in turn, turns down the sequel because of the same thing. Like, they offer it to him, and he's like, no, I can't do another one of these in a year. And that's also, so just like that turnaround that they were making these movies at is also the reason why the actors don't really do much in between. Like, none of the core cast were in anything between the first Twilight and this movie. 
Damn. I'm sure they were on a pretty intense like publicity lifestyle during those times because they were like superstars. So how many? Yeah. So how many years is that that they're out of commission on any other project? I think five because they do them one a year. So they fit in some of them as they go on, but it's like you can do I would guess at most one other movie. Yeah. Beyond Twilight in a year, but I will say what that does make true of this series, which is something that I. I falsely remembered as not being true is that they have a different director for every film. If you count the last two together, which is a thing that a lot of series have tried to do. A lot of series have said at the beginning, this is going to be our thing. And then almost none of them do like almost always one person just ends up becoming like the guy Mm -hmm. like Harry Potter, hunger games, the star Wars sequels, the hobbits movies, Mm -hmm even Fifty Shades of Grey, like all of those at the beginning, they were like, we're going to have a different flair every movie. And then at the end, they were like, nah, this guy likes it. He gets to keep it. So that's cool that they did this. Oh, also, Emmett, they shot this movie on film. No way. (laughs) This is the only one in the series that isn't digital. They shot this thing on 70 millimeter. Yeah, of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. They were like, yeah, we want it to look like an old school. This is what I'm talking about. This is like... Martin Scorsese would have given the better dialogue, but he could not have painted a more beautiful palette. <laughs> mm. I love the way I you agree. love this movie, and or Emma. <laughs> it's uh, very good. I do, too. I wasn't expecting it after your review of the first one last week, but I think this one rocks, so I get it. It's all downhill from here. I have no doubt. <laughs> As they become more story-driven and more ridiculous, I feel like they're going to get worse. But that's what people told us last week, and now that's true too. I enjoyed watching this one, so that's I don't know. True too. So here's the other thing. Chris White's hired the casting director, Renee Haynes, to cast all of the Native American tribe in this film. Mm-hmm. She cast uh, the film Dances with Wolves, which was apparently the first film to feature actual Native Americans playing Native Americans. Wow. At least, like, exclusively. Wow. Like, the first film that made a point of doing that, which is pretty wild. That is pretty wild. Um, And she required all of the auditioning actors to bring proof of their Native American heritage. So everyone, other than Taylor Lautner, is actually Native American in this movie. Except Emily. Tinsel Corey. Oh, really? They messed up there. Um, I think they intended for her to be Native, and she claims to be Native. But a lot oh. of Native Americans have made very clear that she um, she says that she has different affiliations with different First Nations, and that when you um, go into her history, she's actually, um, both of her parents are from India. So, wow, not That's great on her part, but I think they tried. It just, there was mm. kind of an issue of slipping through the cracks there. Well, there's a similar thing like that with Taylor Lautner. Right. Which I don't think they tried no, it's <laughs> to a cast time. someone. No. <laughs> no. But he said, uh, I've got this quote from him. This was in an interview with MTV for the first movie. He said, actually, I am part Native American. We learned that through preparing for this film. I am French, Dutch, and German. And on my mother's side, she has some Ottawa Indian in her. Interesting. Yeah, I have nothing more yeah. to say about that, but I think that's interesting. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to say is that Robert Pattinson in 2019 said that he rewatched this movie 
after not watching any of them. He said this was the one he wanted to rewatch, and he rewatched it, and he said he really liked it. Huh. And then he thought the soundtrack was ahead of its time. Nice. Molly, who do you think the protagonist of this movie is? It's certainly Bella. And what does she want? I would say throughout the entire film that all she wants is Edward in whatever form that may be. I don't think she ever really wants to heal. Um, she doesn't seem to be on a mission to like move past the breakup. I think um, we see her trying to kind of get glimpses of him throughout the film. Um, and so I think that kind of proves that um, one track minded and that's having Edward in her life in whatever way possible. Emmett? I think uh, Ramona Flowers is the protagonist of this film, and all she wants is for somebody to defeat her evil ex. <laughs> I do think Bella is the protagonist here. Uh, what does she want? What, is, what drives her through this film? Uh, she wants to become a vampire. She wants those sweet, sweet vampire kisses that are mm. going to drink up all her blood and turn into a marble goddess herself and what do we think about that i don't know it's a it's a strange desire to have motivate someone through a whole film but maybe that's why this movie takes so long i also i think it's kind of true because i feel like there is a weird thing that was definitely true of me at least that when you're at sort of that high school age like 16 17 or maybe even like 15 to 17 you're like really into like monogamy and foreverness mm. like i don't know if it's part of like proving that your relation like proving some legitimacy in your relationship or something but you are like really into wanting to be with that person forever yeah and there is that whole romeo and juliet thing that they keep playing with like it's a theme or something yeah it's not a theme you don't have to galaxy brain it <laughs> like it's too heavy-handed on the romeo and juliet well, and it's like bringing up Shakespeare does not make it a theme. Like Shakespeare is not a theme, you know. <laughs> it's it's like you can't just bring that in and be like, oh, now we're talking yeah. about something heavy now. Although I do love his line delivery, um, Robert Pattinson with the great mm -hmm. Shakespeare. Yeah, he's very good. It's really sweet. You can hear that American accent struggling even more. <laughs> oh yeah, when he's trying to do Shakespeare. <laughs> oh yeah, they use the these violent delights at the beginning of the film. Uh -huh. And I think it's kind of wasted. And I think their Romeo and Juliet references are bad, especially when compared to the other like big pop culture thing that uses that quote. And that's Westworld, because they just use oh, it uh, once yeah. as a standalone. And it's perfect when you look at Westworld, kind of where you pull back and see the whole series. Um, that quote makes a lot of sense. And it's great. Um, for Twilight, it's just a little bit too much like she's really trying to do something with it. And, like, she really thinks she's done something. But I don't feel like it's it adds anything that we don't already have. I would say it's less of a theme and more of a remake of Romeo and Juliet, which I was, again, shocked to discover <laughs> that this movie, like, hinges on one single line being, <laughs> like, misspoken to someone else, a la Romeo and True. Juliet, that sends right. the exiled lover on a suicide mission. True. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. But I think it works better, obviously, in Romeo and Juliet because you cut to Romeo, right? Uh-huh. Because you see the other side of it and it's not sort of like this person has been gone 
for 80 minutes and now you hear like oh they do care oh they've been in banishment oh they've been upset oh they're going to kill themselves like that's a lot all at once yeah i also don't know if i buy the setup of them as being parallels to paris and romeo because Hmm. it never feels like juliet has any desire for paris at all Mm-hmm. And it is supposed to be like a do I want to be with Jacob or do I want to be with Edward sort of thing. At least as I understand it. Like that's what the dichotomy that she's trying to set up. But that's not really what's up with Paris being like she's not being married. No one's right. trying to marry her off to Jacob. What was your guys take on that in this movie? Do you think that her and Jacob like like how do you think she feels about him? In this movie, I don't think she has enough time away from what she really wants to have that develop into any real feelings um i don't Mm. think um she's to the point where she can kind of see jacob as someone who could be a partner to her because um she's still working through all of her trauma so you think she just sort of has no real feelings about i don't think she's like bridged the gap from like his feelings for her um in this film i don't think Hmm. she i i don't think she could picture herself with him at that point, I think it's more of just like a need to have him in her life in some form that kind of leads them to where they are. You said earlier that she's playing like she's into him, but I don't really think she is playing like she's into him. I think she's being directed like she's into him and playing mm. like she is not into him. And it's a whole like weird thing. I, it It feels right. It feels like the right choice for the movie and it feels compelling. But it does feel like kind of ambiguous what exactly she's like, how exactly she feels towards him. Like, it doesn't seem like she wants to be with him, but it's unclear if that's because she doesn't want to be with him ever or if because it's because she's still not over Edward. And I think hmm. that's a lot of what he's dealing with. And I think like he needs to get with the fact that she's not ever going to like be into him. I don't think anybody is communicating particularly well in this film. I do love the scene where Mike and Jacob and her are in the movie theater (laughs) and they've both got their hands up on the seat, like ready for the handhold. It just feels like perfectly high school. school. Yeah, 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 (laughs) exactly. exactly. (laughs) To be pedantic, I think this movie makes the joke twice a couple times. And I think, like, that is so funny when they cut to, like, the wide shot of them both having their hands there. Like, it's incredible. But then they zoom in on her face and they pan down to the one hand and then they go back to her and then they pan down to the other hand. And it's like, it was funny. Like, you got the joke the first time. It's the same with the incredible circle shot, which I think is, like, truly stunning. One of the best things in this movie where they, like, show the time passing. But it's like, I don't really need to see like October, November, January written out in font on right. the screen. Right. It could have like gone, I got it. It could have gone October <laughs> to January. I don't think right. you could have just not have words. Right. And I yeah. think you see the different things happening outside, that's enough of context yeah. for it. I think she's a little bit hotter on him than either of you guys do. I do think that she obviously likes Edward more and she sa- like I think it is true what she says at the end of this movie like don't make me choose because I will always choose him. I don't know. I was pretty surprised that they didn't. I mean, they practically kiss. They are both there to kiss and then get distracted. Yeah. But I was like, what are we doing here? 
No, I agree. I felt icky about it. Yeah. But I understand where they both are at in that moment. I think there's like some interesting dependency going on there. And I feel like their relationship is like it's most compelling in this movie when they're exploring like the weird dynamics in that male-female friendship where it like isn't totally clearly spelled out and they're like talking around things. And they're also like both the only person each other like spends time with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who among us hasn't tried to kiss a friend that they were in a codependent relationship with? <laughs> sure. True. Sure. True enough. Can I hijack this show for a second and have our interview with a werewolf? <laughs> Okay, I would love it. I would love it. First, I just want to give some love to the werewolves in this movie. I want to say a sh- big shout out to Patty, the daytime werewolf. <laughs> I cannot believe these guys are just changing into wolves at will in this movie in broad daylight. They're like, yeah. they're like, what? There's something to fight. Cool. I'm gonna be a wolf now. It doesn't matter. There's a full moon. It's not. It's two weeks away. It doesn't matter. Yeah, calling them a werewolf is maybe a little misleading of a title. Yeah, I think they're more like they're they're these guys who can shape shift into wolves, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and I also want to talk about digitally animated wolves, circa the two thousands in movies. This was a thing, y'all. People had those digital wolves of in every single film that came out for a four year span. I'm talking Chronicles of Narnia. I'm talking Van Helsing. I'm talking this movie. I'm talking Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, at, at least, to, to name just a few. Wow. Um, right? So this whole wolf thing was on everybody's minds almost as much as the whole vampire thing. And get this. Series after series has pitted wolves v. vampires, okay? We've got the Underworld Chronicles. We have the Twilight Saga. We have... Van Helsing again with the vampire versus werewolf trope. In uh, What We Do in the Shadows, there's, of course, the excellent bit with the werewolves. Yeah, so where does this all come from? I look it up. It turns out this feud that supposedly exists between vampires and werewolves is all some, like, recent 20th century fabrication. From the ancient myths, it turns out that if you... A werewolf and a vampire were essentially considered to be about the same thing or pretty similar. And other accounts have it that if you kill a werewolf the wrong way, it could come back as a vampire. (laughs) But in any event, there's not as much difference and certainly less enmity between the two, which I thought was pretty interesting. Also on Interview with a Werewolf, Taylor Lautner has said that taking his shirt off during these films made him very uncomfortable and that he wished the rest of the cast would do it so they know how it felt. Thank you. <laughs> Back to you, Wade. I did like at the um at the end where you could clearly see that Robert Pattinson had airbrushed abs on <laughs> his stomach when he had to like expose himself. So I think that is kind of funny. I bet he was feeling like some degree of self consciousness after being around Taylor Lautner, who is completely ripped at this point. Like just airbrushed abs. He had those airbrushed on a concave abdomen. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you could tell they were fake as hell because his abdomen is concave and he has got a, a washboard abs. 
That's the one thing I remembered about this movie. The only thing that stuck <laughs> with me these nigh 12 years were the circle shot and Robert Pattinson taking off his shirt in that scene. I think that's really all you need. If you wanted to remember New Moon as a film, those two things are the most important. That's fair. Well, you were talking about the werewolves, Emmett. I said that we were going to break up some of the big cultural topics of this series across the episodes. So I thought that this one, since it seems like Jacob's movie would be good to talk about the Native American representation across these movies, the, like, fact at the heart of this issue is that Stephanie Meyer, unlike pretty much any other series of this popularity, based this series on real places. Mm -hmm. Like, Forks is a real town. La Push is a real town. The Quileute tribe is a real tribe that really lives there. I don't think she had been there personally. You might know that more than I would, Molly. I don't think she had any sort of like actual research. No, she um she had written the book, I think almost completely, the first book before she ever visited the area yeah. where it takes place. I think she was like Pacific Northwest, it's a vibe, pulled out a map. Uh, and she originally was not planning on including Native American characters in the story at all. But when she picked this place and then found out about the tribe living there, she said she thought it would add to the magical nature of the story. And then she never, of course, asked for permission to use the places or the people in any way, and also never provided any financial compensation. Right. Even though they were selling the Native art on the tattoo and hmm. their name and all of the products. It did say that tourism went up hugely for Forks and for the tribe, which I think comes with like positive and negative effects. Yeah, and I'm sure having financial benefits from the millions of products that were sold at Hot Topic would have been much more beneficial than just the tourism. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Also not, like, actually an accurate representation, which is a weird thing if you're going to pick a real tribe. Because there there are wolf legends in Quileute tradition, but there aren't any werewolves. But I believe when they the original people arrived in um, where, is now, where now the Quileute people live, there were two wolves. There were no people, but there were two wolves um, near the river. And they turned those wolves into people so that they could repopulate the Quileutes. But that's the only, Mm. that's the basis of the transition. But there's no transitioning back into wolves at any point in their history. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of people have written really good stuff about this. I read a couple different things here. So Lily Coles, uh, writing for Dollhouse University, wrote that sort of one of the major issues is this, is that it plays into the magical Indian stereotype, which suggests that sort of the Native Americans' only place in modern society is through their old spirituality. Mm-hmm. Also, when I looked at uh, the Burke Museum, which is a museum in Washington, they have this page called Truth Versus Twilight, which is where a lot of this stuff is from. It's really good. And it said that a lot of people like visiting the tribe didn't realize like didn't expect them to live in just like modern normal houses and have modern technology and be like regular people existing in modern society as we are 
based on sort of their representation in this and everything else, you know. Mm. Lily Coles also talks about, this is what the trope is called, the romantic savage trope, Mm. which is like an exotic Native American who's torn between the tradition of his culture and the love of an outsider, and he is like very dangerous when he gets angered. And a lot of people wrote about like the difference between the very Victorian like dressed up vampires versus mm. the tribe who are like very over sexualized and who are running around naked and like acting on pure emotion at all times. Mm-hmm. It's a fair criticism of uh, primarily the books and then yeah, the way that it was portrayed even in the movies. Um, some of that remains. And then I've got uh, a quote here from Tyson Houseman who plays Quill in this movie. In in the whole series. Uh, this is from an op-ed he wrote for Vice in 2015, which was when a bunch of Native American actors walked off the set of Adam Sandler's Ridiculous Six after oh, they wow. were cast and then asked to perform like a bunch of stereotypical racist jokes. Damn. Uh, he wrote this op-ed congratulating them. And he wrote, I knew the character I was playing was problematic and I still did it because it was a huge opportunity. This problematic portrayal was never discussed on set between actors or writers. It was kind of an elephant in the room. It's easy to take a moral stance on something, but as we all know, it's a lot harder to stand by your morals when they are put to the test. Uh, Indigenous actors face struggles of misrepresentation all the time, from racist typecasting to insensitive and false historical research, and I know from experience that it takes a humongous deal of courage to stand up to this. Wow. They are being handed the book, right? In some ways, it feels like there's only so much they can do. And it feels like they were trying to make strides in casting Native American actors to play these parts. And, you know, they had people come in and consult on the films as well. um, Native people. Um, I Mm -hmm. don't know if that was the case in the first one, but certainly in this film. But you can only do so much when the source material has problematic themes to begin with. Yeah. And I think also like the weird flip side of this is that that's all true. And at the same time, like this is one of the only examples of Native American representation in a major film that I can think of. Yeah. Right. Like it is so problematic that they're depicted like this. And yet they're also not being depicted anywhere else that I really remember growing up. I mean, I remember Pocahontas and Brother Bear, but in like live action, big budget stuff. Yeah, I feel like this is a hell of a lot better than The Revenant. And also one of the things I I think it was Lily Coles mentioned that this uh, portrayal avoids the four Ds of Native American representation on film, which is dancing, drumming, drunk, and dead. Yeah. Right. The unfortunate stereotypes, yeah. But also, I'm sure we all agree that they just, like, needed to step up and do better. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I do think, like, like this film would change people's minds or just inform people on actual things if it was interested in that. Mm. And it really isn't, right. you know? I, I like how at one point she asks him basically a question we have heard before way, 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 way back in only the second episode of our series. Have you tried not being a werewolf? (laughs) And and he says, nah, baby, I was born this way. (laughs) Yes, there was. 
There is a um, real queer metaphor <laughs> in that one scene with Jacob. Oh, also, his wig is so bad in this so movie. Oh my gosh. And it's not just Jacob. I mean, the wig game in the Twilight Saga is the worst mm. universally. I thought his wig looked okay in the first movie. I didn't really notice it. It's so bad in this yeah. one. And I think that's true for everyone. It gets progressively worse as the series goes on. Mm. Like, wigs in the first one were at least halfway decent. And by the end, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh. just We should have just shaved all their heads. That would have been better than this. <laughs> did you have a body count for this movie? Uh, I did. I think it is two. <laughs> mm. But the, my body count for how many times do we see the male form revealed in this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, at least, it's at least six times but like they are long mm. scenes so i would yeah. i would hazard a guess that over 45 minutes of this film there are abs <laughs> on screen that might also explain its popularity <laughs> uh well speaking of molly who was your mvp for this movie other than bella i guess your mvp otb my MVP OTB has to be Charlie Swan. Um, I think he is the only Mm. redeeming character. I think that he genuinely cares about Mm -hmm. Bella's well-being. It's not self-serving. It's just him wanting to um, see her have a normal and happy and fulfilling life. My real feelings about the whole Twilight Saga is if there had been one actively parenting mother in the entire franchise... None of this would have happened. <laughs> a mother would have spotted these red flags from a mile away. <laughs> but the fact that they all have dads means that we get the best that we can out of Charlie Swan, who cares, but is just completely incapable. I agree. I love him. He was my MVP last week. And I think that they were like, oh, he's good in the first one. And they give him, like, I think this movie starts with him having, like, a very funny scene. And they just sort of push him in wherever he can because who wouldn't want to look at billy burke he's he's a phenomenal actor (laughs) i was very confused when he gets like a new best friend for a good portion of this movie i was like who is this guy and then that guy dies and i was like oh they just didn't want to kill his real best friend (laughs) so that's why this guy was here uh emmett who's your mvp otb oh it's it's difficult I'm going to say that biker dude that she gets on a bike with, he's just like, he's like, I can be whoever you want me to be, baby. And it's like, he is not a bad boy. (laughs) He is not. I was like, that is Evan Scott Hustle on a motorcycle. Wow. Uh, He was like, he's like there in his skinny jeans and his leather jacket and like, just like giving her attention. He has threatening lines and a completely non-threatening presence. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. But I would say that my real MVP is the scene in which Bella and J- and Edward have the conversation that Anakin and Padme should have had in uh, Revenge of the Sith in the fir- sometime in the first thirty minutes of the movie. I'm not good for you and all this stuff. And it was like, oh, wow, like, this is really compelling. Like, I wish we could have seen that in the most important love story of all time. (laughs) Wait, who's your MVP OTB? Uh, I think for this movie, it is Laurent. Ooh. 
I want to say I wrote that down, and then he went into the very creepy part of his scene, and I was like, uh... (laughs) He only has one scene, but I think he really kills it. And I think he instills, like, a sense of danger and a sense of style into the movie in the middle of the stretch where it needs it most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he really plays that scene well. Like, it is clear watching that 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 is, like, an actor who is thinking about what the movie needs at that moment Mm. in a way that most other actors aren't. Mm -hmm. He is my MVP for this one. And sad to, I assume, not see him again since he dies in this one. All right, now it's time for our weekly quiz interview with a vampire. I've got a very special one for you all this week. (laughs) I have here 10 quotes. I'm going to read the quote, and you both will have to guess whether is it, a, it is a quote said by Robert Pattinson on the press tour for this movie, <laughs> New Moon, or by one of the three of us in our group chat Uh-oh. over the last six oh, years. Oh, no. God, the truth this comes out. <laughs> we are playing a little bit of Rob or group chat. <laughs> well, okay. uh... Only only one of those two groups drinks uh, human blood. <laughs> yes, and we won't say which. Yeah, we won't say uh, which. So you don't have to identify who said the quote, just oh, whether should. it was Rob oh, or the group chat. What's the oldest quote? I didn't go all okay, the Okay, good. <laughs> There's some weird things back there. I don't think there's anything too incriminating. Okay. In here. And they're all devoid of context. Excellent. So, you know. <laughs> and, Putting and things devoid of context on the internet? How could that be a problem ever? <laughs> okay, we're going to start with a softball. Uh, quote number one. It was like a book that wasn't supposed to be published. It was like we were reading her own sexual fantasy. <laughs> it's Rob. It's Rob. <laughs> that is correct. It is a point for both. That is Robert Pattinson. Quote number two. At the time... I had no idea she was the first lady of Canada. <laughs> At the time, I had no idea she was the first lady of Canada. Oh, Molly? gosh. <laughs> I really want it to be one of us, but I think it's Rob. Rob? Yeah. Okay. Emmett? I think that's got to be one of us. It's a point for Emmett. It oh, was God. indeed one of us. <laughs> And I will reveal it wasn't. Oh God! <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Quote number three. He said, "I'm going to kill you," and there's something really attractive about that. Oh gosh, this sounds like me. <laughs> he said, "I'm going to kill you," and there's something really attractive about that. It very much sounds like me, but I do think it's Rob because I don't think I said okay. it. I think now, that's rubbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I just think that's rubbed, too. <laughs> All right. It's a point for okay, both. Good. It is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, it, it was really... Could go, have gone either way with that one. <laughs> Quote number four. It was weird because he's such an emotional boy. <laughs> this is one of us. <laughs> yeah. This must be one of us. It is indeed... <laughs> That is a point for both. Who said it? Uh, you yeah. said it. 
But it sounds like I, something Robert Pattinson could have said. <laughs> yeah, for sure. About Edward. Yeah. Okay, what is this? Number five. The average relationship is way better than this. I think it's Rob. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but I think it's Rob, yeah. Uh, I, think I think it's probably Rob. <laughs> because I think that whenever we complain about a relationship, we're not anywhere near that nice. <laughs> <laughs> you are both correct. It is indeed Robert Benson. Emmett undefeated so far. One point ahead nice. of Molly. We'll see how it lasts going into the second half. Quote number six. Bella was willing to die for that duck. <laughs> that was me. Were, were you trying to say something else? <laughs> Is that your guess as well? <laughs> I will guess that it was Molly while she was drinking. <laughs> um, it was indeed Molly. No. I <laughs> sent the like, follow-up text quite soon after it, if mm, I recall. <laughs> I can neither confirm <laughs> nor correction. deny. I can say that the text immediately following it once again <laughs> just said duck. <laughs> So, with a little star in front of it. And I will say nothing about any text after that. Next quote. You should really be concerned about stunted emotional growth with this guy. It was one of us. I think that was Robert Pattinson. Molly's right. It was Wade. It was Wade talking about my current boyfriend. <laughs> Damn, the truth comes out. I said he likes pop punk. Is that a red flag? <laughs> I remember that specifically because we joke about it a lot. He still likes pop punk, but it apparently wasn't that much of a red flag. Uh, I didn't know who it was about. <laughs> but I didn't know I said it. Okay. Number eight. There's a lot of stuff in this world. That doesn't make any sense. I'll say that was one of us. That sounds like something one of us would say. I think it's one of us as well. Both oh, wrong. <laughs> Robert Benson talking about the Twilight world. A lot uh, of stuff yes. that doesn't make I any mean, sense. I mean, both are true. Both are true. Number nine. I was barely coherent for the entire process. <laughs> okay, that was you and me and Robert Pattinson all about separate processes and also probably Molly about some of the same processes. Yeah. It is possible that all four have said this at some point, but I'm talking about one particular instance. Yes, I believe this was one of us. Emmett? I also think it was one of us. You're both right. It was Emmett. You're both right, and we're tied. Right? <laughs> it was Emmett talking about taking a NyQuil before a photo call he had to go to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I do remember that. That was bad. <laughs> I was just asleep, and the stage manager kept asking me, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, just do it. <laughs> okay, number 10, our final. I'll say I do have a tiebreaker. Are we currently tied? You are currently tied. You both have seven. And this is quote number 10. We only have two enemies. It's one of us. We only have two enemies. That's one of us. Because in Twilight, they only have one enemy. <laughs> You're both oh, wrong. No! <laughs> it's Robert Pattinson. Damn it. I guess they do. Well, I don't know. We really only have two enemies. <laughs> that is true. 
That is true. Okay, so we're going into the tiebreaker, and for this one, it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to have to say which of the four of us said okay. this. And it is something that perhaps all four have said many times, but there is one specific, there's only one instance of this phrase being uttered. In the group chat. Or <laughs> okay. in, in the group chat. Or, <laughs> or in an interview. <laughs> You're going to have to say which one said okay. it. The quote is, I'm getting turned at the melon. <laughs> I think it's me. I think it's me. Molly Wendell. It was her. Damn. It is a text from 2016 yeah. from Molly. Yeah, only, uh, only I would use the phrase turn at the melon. <laughs> I, I See, I feel like I may have sent that very text in the past week. So. <laughs> well, congratulations to our winner, Molly. Thank you for that incredible game, Wade. That was phenomenal. Yeah. It really Thank freaked you. me Dude. out because I've said some really <laughs> horrible things in the group chat. I wasn't going to pick anything <laughs> weird. And then I even wrote what Emmett was describing when he said I was barely coherent <laughs> the entire process. <laughs> Molly, do you have any final thoughts about the Twilight Saga new movie? Um... I'm really happy that I got to be on the pod to talk about it with you guys. Um, I know that when you started this podcast, I said, um, you're dead to me if you don't let me come on and do one of the Twilights. Um, So I'm really happy it was this one. Um, I don't think that there's really anything else to say. I think we've really kind of covered the bases for this film. Um, I'm really upset that I did not get the opportunity to say the phrase, when the push comes to shove, which was like, oh. I was planning it the whole time, but I can't, I can't fit it in anymore. That was so, good. That was good. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know if you guys want to use it next episode or something. Just edit this out. No, that's all you. That's all you. <laughs> Emmett, final thoughts? Okay, so I just have this one little bit written down. Where it says, ew, dialogue, ew, she's legal, ew, he's 109, zaddy make out. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was pretty early on. Wait, any final thoughts? That was my final thought. Yeah, I don't have much. Uh, Let Chris Weitz direct a big budget movie again because he absolutely destroys it here. Yeah, And I suspect he would again. Um, I like that Edward has a different car, but it is still lame in this one. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in with a new car that is still just as uncool as the last one. I want that car. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be great, like, functionally. I don't think it's, like, the hottest boy in school rolls up driving this car. Right. <laughs> um, I also like when... I don't even know who says this. I think it's Jacob. Someone says, you've been lying to everyone. Charlie... And then cannot list anyone It's else an exhaustive list. <laughs> Bella has no more connections in no this friends. world. That's where the buck stops. That's hilarious. Oh, I think man. Jacob has my favorite line in this movie, which is, Bella, where the hell have you been, loca? <laughs> like, I think it's top tier. Oh, oh my man. God. I can't believe there are three more of these. <laughs> You're going to love it. Uh, Molly, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, it has been a delight. I just want to say before I go um, that if you find yourself so inclined to help the Quileute people, since we've talked a lot about them today, um, mm-hmm. they are currently fundraising to move their school out of the flood zone. Um, they're having some issues with that, and they're concerned that it could 
um, be damaged or um, wipe away a population of the Quileutes. Um, and so they are working to raise money to move that school. You can find out more information at Move to Higher Ground. So it's mthg.org. Oh, awesome. Thank you. That's great. I'll link that in the description, too. Thanks. Is there anything you would like to plug or anywhere that people can find you online? If they would like um, to? You can send all your hate mail to me at all of my socials. Um, I am at I and this mystery, like the Walt Whitman poem. And I don't no. really have anything to plug. Caroline already plugged it for us, apparently. <laughs> Yes, we heard that you were part of the podcast Hanks for Watching. Yes, I am one half of the non-existent podcast Hanks for Watching, coming to a streaming service near you sometime, eventually. <laughs> I would love to be on the Joe versus the Volcano episode. I assumed that you would do the Carly Rae Jepsen music video, but I'll pencil you in for both. Is he in a Carly Rae Jepsen yeah, music video? Yeah, the I Really Really Like You one. He is the main performer in that music video all right well we have to end the episode so i can go watch that this moment. <laughs> fantastic thanks for having me on i expect to be back for captain ron at some point in the future i just want to get that out there into the world okay but we'll have to figure out what else is in the series with it but as soon as we do that so we'll be knocking at your door Excellent. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Until then, love you guys. Bye. Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp. And our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.